So we're reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. All right, so it's a really special day today, isn't it, for some of you families? Um, And it is good to remember uh, parents and children. I think it's really interesting, though, how the Bible uses family language to describe God. Can we get my slides up, please? Yep, okay. The Bible uses family language to describe God. So, look at this. This was read to us just now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're talking about God the Father today. God the Father. Just for about 20 minutes or so. So, it says there, um, praise be to God. Uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then a little bit later, um, it was read to us as well, to the praise of his glorious grace. question I want to try and ask today, or the question I want to try and answer today, is why do we praise God the Father? What is it about God the Father that is so praiseworthy? And I'll tell you the answer straight away, and then we'll unpack it over the next 20 minutes or so. So we praise um, God the Father because he is willing to adopt us as his own. Okay, we praise God the Father because he is willing to adopt us as his own. Let me start by saying, I know for some of you, the word father has some pretty bad associations. Your father was not a good man. And when we talk about God the Father, your instinct is to kind of shudder slightly because your father was one of three Ds, distant, dangerous, or just disappeared. That's true of many fathers, isn't it? I'm going to say to you today, please don't judge the ultimate father by the failings of your own. Please don't judge the ultimate father by the failings of your own. It's the wrong way around, actually. In fact, we should judge every father by the glory and goodness of God the Father. Why do we praise him? First of all, because he wants to be known as father to us. Isn't that a bit of a bizarre idea? You know what? When I was in primary school, um, and I, I think I'm right in saying, did you learn the violin as well at one point? No, it wasn't you. Maybe it was Keith. I think Keith did. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there was a, a, um, I used to learn the violin when I was in primary school, and um, my violin teacher was... Um, 
not a nice person. Um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, she described my violin playing as a vile din, which was her attempt at humour. Um, and our, our violin lessons were up this creepy, dark staircase, this narrow, dark staircase, um, into this little dark room uh, where you'd meet this terrifying woman who was honestly perpetually disappointed in her students. And it wasn't just me, I don't think. And if you didn't practice enough, she would literally scream at you. I saw one of my friends reduced to tears by her on more than one occasion. Now, to some of you here, the idea of... uh, To some of you here, God the Father sounds a bit like that. Someone who is distant and scary and angry. Someone you approach in trepidation. Now, for sure, you might call him Lord or God or master, or sovereign ruler, or creator, or something like that. But all those words make us think about someone who is distant, who is above me in every way. Someone who doesn't really want to connect with me. But when someone becomes a Christian, that relationship changes completely. Whereas God was a distant master, a sovereign ruler... That was the relationship you had. Uh, and, and whereas your every failure you felt like he noticed. There your every failing was another barrier between you and God. When you become a Christian, that changes. When you become a Christian, he says now to call him Father. It speaks of family. It's the very opposite of distance, isn't it? It's the very opposite of my scary violin teacher. And you think, well, maybe you think, well, how presumptuous, you know, that he, he, well, how presumptuous it would be, wouldn't it, to be able to come to God and say, and, and call him Father. But actually, that's exactly how he wants to be known when we become Christians. So how is it that we can come to the sovereign ruler of the universe and call him father? Well, it was in the reading that Rachel read to us. It says he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, we'll leave the predestination thing for now. Regulars here, we'll come back to it in four weeks time, I promise. All right, but the key bit is this. He decided that he would adopt us to sonship. He decided to make us his children through Jesus. And as an adopted child, your relationship with that father is completely different. Now he is your heavenly father. Now you are family together. Any of the dads here, you, you know what it's like, don't you? Your, your heart bursts with, with joy at the achievements of your, your little kids. You know, when, the, when you're baby child when they when they first lift their head up your heart wants to burst with like that's my boy you know he can lift his head up you know or the first time um they speak a word that's recognizable or the first time they they make a step or the first time they ride their bike your heart bursts with with pride about the achievements of your child that's much more along the lines that the bible describes the christian's relationship 
with God. He loves you. You are his. You belong to him. He cares for you. You matter to the king of the universe. And you know that's true now. Just listen to this. This is from a different part of the Bible, Galatians chapter 4. It describes the experience of becoming a Christian. Um, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit that cries out, Abba, that's the Aramaic word for father. Father, so you're no, no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. And it's all because God the Father has adopted you and made you his own. I know some of you here today have been through the adoption process. I know there are one or two here who have adopted children. And there are one or two here who have been adopted. Some of you will know that we fostered a little boy um, from birth to 16 months um, quite recently. Uh, and we saw him go through the adoption process. And now he's been adopted. And, I, um, and it was a beautiful thing. I actually helped him uh, by... Um, I authorised the, um, uh, the, his, his passport application and his new name. It was so lovely. So, you know, he, he has been, now been adopted into a different family. He now has a family. He has a, a permanent family, a permanent place of security. In, in this country, at least, when you are adopted into a family, you take the name of that family as well. In the same way, when God adopts someone into his family, it's a permanent thing. He says, now I am your father. I am your father. You are now my son or my daughter. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Sometimes Christian people, and I'm speaking to those who've been around here regularly. Sometimes Christian people make the mistake that they think that forgiveness is the point of the gospel. It's, it's not. It, it's, forgiveness is a necessary step in the process of adoption. Christ died so that you could be adopted as his child. Think of it this way. If I, um, let's see, uh, let's say I put a big dent in Joe's car over there. He's got quite a nice car, so it makes him quite cross, I think. Especially if I did it on, let's say I did it on purpose, all right? I get really annoyed with Joe after the service. He pushes in front of me in the coffee queue. I decide I'm going to give his car a good kicking. All right, so um, what happens next? Let's say Joe decides, because Joe is very, very gracious, Joe decides that now he's going to forgive me. Does that mean that we're best pals? doesn't, does it? At best, we're neutral now. At best, we're neutral. But you see, God goes much, much further than that. God says, not only will I forgive you, but I'll actually make you my family as well. How glorious is that? How glorious is that? It's going way further than forgiveness. He says, I'm going to make you my child. It's like, it's like salvation with, with ice cream and a cherry on the top. And God chooses... Some of the worst, not the best. You know, in this country, there is a huge shortage of people who are willing to adopt children. Huge shortage. And in fact, Stoke-on-Trent, 
has some of the highest numbers of children in care in the whole of the UK. There is a huge shortage. Uh, And this is the honest truth. Beautiful babies and really well-behaved toddlers mostly get adopted pretty quickly. Uh, And actually... You might not realise this, but there are, you actually get a, if you want to adopt children, you, you basically get a catalogue with, with pictures and a profile and a description of what they're like. And you more or less choose out of the catalogue, and there's more to it than that, of course. But the children who don't get adopted are the ones that are a bit older, you know, age four, five plus, the ones with behavioural problems the ones with all kinds of trauma in their past, the ones with disabilities, people don't adopt them. Is that what God does? Is that what God does? Does God just choose, does he cherry pick the loveliest people? Does God look out over his catalogue of humanity and, and, and look out for the, the, the beautiful people, the sorted people, the, the best behaved people? <laughs> Far from it, friends. Far from it. The, the writer uh, uh, that wrote that thing that Rachel read to us earlier also wrote this, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he says, of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst, he says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you see what it's saying? It's, it's saying that the writer is saying, uh, God save me, like the worst of all people. And he was, he was a murderer and he was arrogant and proud and he hated Jesus And he says, God save me, God save me to prove beyond any doubt at all that no one is beyond saving, that no one is too far gone, that no one has committed some crime or done something that is too awful so that God will then ignore them. Does he choose the best? No. He chooses some of the very worst. Human beings are naturally rebellious creatures. You know that, really, don't you? In this, later on in the same letter, it says, we were by nature deserving of wrath, actually. Literally, children of wrath. We're children of wrath. That's what we deserve. We deserve God's anger, actually. But instead, because of his great mercy, he chooses to adopt people like us into his family he brings the filthy wretched ones into his family and calls them his own please don't look around this place and think oh what a bunch of lovely sorted people God must have cherry picked the very best of humanity to be here no he didn't (laughs) promise you didn't although he's making us better day by day It's good news, isn't it? No one is too far gone. No one is beyond saving. You know, when I was a kid, um, we were on holiday one time, 
I got caught in a riptide. You know what a riptide is at the beach? Where the, the, some, I don't really understand how it happens. Something to do with the waves and the wind and tides and things. Anyway, the point is, I got caught in this riptide and it's, the, the tide was carrying me out, straight out to sea. My dad waded in and grabbed me and rescued me. And we say, however much trouble you're in today, no matter how dark and deep and powerful your riptide, his arm is long enough to save you. His arm is strong enough and long enough to rescue you today. Let's just talk about one more thing about adoption. It says, when, when you become a Christian, it says you are adopted through Jesus Christ. Adopted through Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Lots of people worry, and I have this conversation with a lot of people <laughs> um, about adoption and fostering. But people worry about adoption. They say, if I, I, they say sometimes, I, I don't think I could adopt a child. What if I didn't love them? What, what, if, what if I... I didn't even grow to love them over time because they're not my flesh and blood. You know, you can understand that anxiety, can't you? You know, what all of this child comes into my life and I, I just don't connect with them at all. Let me be honest, it can be hard. <laughs> you know, we can talk about attachment theory sometime. Come and ask me if you want to. But how can we be sure God will love his adopted children? How, if, if that's us, if we are the adopted children, how can we be sure that God loves us? This is the reason. We're not far off being finished. We just need to talk about the Trinity for a minute, though. All right, some of you are thinking, really? Oh, man, you're going to talk about the Trinity? That's complicated uh, theology. God the Father has a son. Okay, that's kind of implied in the name, isn't it? God the Father has a son, the Lord Jesus. In fact, God is Father, Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, one God in three persons. The eternal three in one and one in three. And the Father loves his son. The Father delights in his son. For all eternity, God has loved his son. Which is wonderful because it means at the heart of everything, at the heart of the universe, even before the universe was made, it means there was a loving relationship. Which is a wonderful thing. If everything in the whole universe is built on, on what came before it, what came before it was actually love. The Father loves his son. And the Father has a plan in fact, this passage uh, is, is full of the language of planning. It talks about God choosing us. Uh, it talks about his will that he purposed to be put into effect. It's all about planning. The plan that he has to work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, if you like, in verse 11. It's complicated stuff, but the big picture is this. God has a plan for the universe. And because he's God, it's a plan that will happen. It's a plan that no one can thwart, no one can stop, no one can undo it. Can't be messed up by anyone. And this is his plan. It's in verse 10. We didn't get that far in the reading this morning. But this is it. His plan is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In other words, to glorify his son Jesus. 
that Jesus might be exalted and honoured and glorified forever by all people. And that all of creation will be united in glorying in him and enjoying him for the whole of eternity. Do you see what this, what this is saying? Saying the father loves his son. The father delights in his son, Jesus, and wants the world to know how amazing he is. Some time ago, I discovered um, how a Sana uh, restaurant, the Afghan restaurant. Put your hand if you've been to the Afghan restaurant on Stoke Road. Yeah, we've taken quite a lot of people uh, to the Afghan restaurant on Stoke Road. Highly recommend it. The food is beautiful. The it's fragrant. The meat falls off the bone. It's, there's a lot of meat. If you're a veggie, you'll hate it. Uh, it's just loads of meat. Big portions. Great prices. And, and when you discover something wonderful and joyful, you want to tell everyone about it, don't you? When you discover like, something great that other people will benefit from, you want to tell them all about it. You want to share it. And on a cosmic scale, that's exactly what God has done with his son. God says, my son is so magnificent. I want you to know him. God has a plan that the whole world should be united in glorying in his son. So if you want to be saved and rescued today, if you want to be adopted into his family, if you want to be loved by the ultimate father, you must come to him through Jesus. Whenever we come to God the Father, we must come through the Son that he loves. That's why Jesus came into the world, to, to bring many sons and daughters to glory. So, so, so what do you do? If you want to be reconciled to God, you, uh, ha, uh, um, how do you come to him? What do you do? You come to Jesus. You come to the Father through the Son. You bind yourself to Jesus. You, uh, we associate ourselves with Jesus. We cling to Jesus. We say, I'm with Jesus now. His death and resurrection is what saves me. His death on that cross was for me, was for my sin. And you know what? The father looks at his son, his beloved son, who you stand beside, and he loves you like he loves his son because you're with his son. That's how we can be sure that God the Father will love us as his adopted children. Because the Father loves Jesus so perfectly. You bind yourself to him, he will love you in the same way that he loves his own son. In a moment, we're going to pray. We're just going to talk to this God who wants to be known as Father to us. I wonder, just before we do that, I wonder who he is to you today. For some of you here, you, you're a Christian already and you have been for a long time. I wonder though, do you still see him as a bit like my scary violin teacher? Do you? Do you still see God as someone who is always disappointed and maybe slightly annoyed with you? If that is you, then we're going to pray that God might help you to see through his word. That, that he, uh, to see all that you have in Christ as you stand alongside Jesus. That you might see for yourself the glory and the wonder of all that is. 
Uh, uh, maybe today, if you're not a Christian, maybe you haven't set foot in church in many decades, I, I want to give you the chance to take a step towards him today by owning up to who you are. Just being honest with him. He can see your heart anyway. He knows everything about you already. But he likes to hear you say it. To own up to who you are and ask him to come in and help you and change you. Music team, would you come up? And we'll just pray while they do that. So thank you, Sovereign Lord, that you are the ruler of all things and nothing can hinder your plans. Thank you, Lord, that that your plans are good, that you are a good God and your desire is for our good, that we should marvel at your son Jesus and enjoy him forever. So, Lord, we come through Jesus now. We come to you now and we just freely confess our faults and our failings to you. Lord, we just want to be honest with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for our sin on that cross. We cling to you as our only hope, our only forgiveness, our only way out. And we come to the Father as his adopted child. We praise you, Father, for your glorious grace toward undeserving people like us. Amen.